Prison Philosophy 101. Prison Ethics 101, or How an Old Teacher Got Schooled, by Dr. Thomas Davison. Quote, To understand the man, you must first walk a mile in his moccasins. Unquote. Attributed to Native Americans. I am an adjunct business instructor at Marion Technical College for the Business Prison Program. For the last five years, I have been teaching college-level business coursework at North Central Corrections and the Marion Correctional Institute. These are two all-male prisons in Northern Ohio. Since working at the prisons, my life has been overflowed with astounding life moments. I have felt driven to write a story about a recent incident. Yes, this is a prison-themed short story. But it is also a human story. A felon, by committing their crime, surrenders their rights, temporarily, to be a member of our society. This is something I understand. However, just because a man makes a mistake, or several mistakes, doesn't mean he ceases to be a member of humanity. Trust me when I say to you, despite their surroundings and the burdens they bear, there is much good that persists in these places. I have learned more about the potential for greatness in the human spirit from working with my incarcerated students during the past three years than 20 years of my teaching of traditional students. When I lecture my prison classes, I enjoy discussing the importance of perspective with my students, that they should strive to see things from the other man's point of view. Since my wife is half Cherokee and she constantly wears moccasins, I have always been strongly drawn to the quote accredited to several different people, interchanging the words shoes and moccasins. To understand the man, you must first walk a mile in his moccasins. I was recently teaching a class on a popular subject on the inside, a subject that we all will take home with us when re-entering back to society. Right and wrong, good and evil, morality, philosophy, and of course, the big E, ethics. I need to share this true story about an incident that occurred when I was teaching an ethics class in one of the prisons, Marion Correctional Institute. I couldn't ethically write about this incident without first obtaining permission from the student involved. I told him for the purposes of the story, I would use an anonymous name when referring to him. He insisted on selecting the name. With his typical sense of humor, he wanted to be called Prisoner Malcolm X. I always refer to my students by the prefix of Mr., followed by their surname. This means that he would be Mr. X in the story. My students refer to me as Dr. D. This is a true story I am sharing with you, the reading audience, about Mr. X, Dr. D, in the Big E class. You just can't make this stuff up, can you? On this day, I was teaching a class on business ethics, and Mr. X was a part of the class where approximately 50% of the students had worked hard for months or years to achieve their GED. They were finally taking college-level coursework. I usually thoroughly enjoyed these sessions with newer students, exploring their personal belief system and exposing them to the thoughts of great men such as Kant, Descartes, and Nietzsche. I would follow my usual steps of utilizing creative ethical dilemma questions. I would play the numbers games of philosophy. Would you kill one old business instructor, me, 
to save a million lives. Would you trade one life for the life of someone who would later cure cancer and save millions of others? My readers, you have probably heard them all. However, they do the job of provoking good discussions, until it was Mr. X's turn to be grilled. No matter how ridiculously creative the scenarios I created became, he completely and utterly refused to take the imaginary life. He was unshakable in his responses. No, never take a life, no matter how impactful it became in my imaginary ethical scenarios. Becoming a little frustrated, I stated to Mr. X, Hey Mr. X, remember our class rule to always be truthful. Are you following the rule? He quietly replied to me and the entire class, Yes sir, Dr. D, I am being truthful. No matter what awful scenario you come up with, you can never convince me that it is okay to take a human life. Nothing you can say will get me to change my mind. Now I was really becoming intrigued. I was remembering my first class with Mr. X. I want to be Malcolm X in the story you're writing, Dr. D. Which had been introduction to marketing. I had been asking a series of pointed questions of the class to try and determine the extent of marketing experience that existed. Mr. X had stated flat out that he had zero experience with marketing and that marketing might as well be Greek for all he could make of it. Further questioning revealed that Mr. X had never held down a real 9-to-5 type of job in his life. The only work he had actually any experience with was selling product. So, for the next 15 to 20 minutes, I peppered him with questions such as, how did you determine your target market for your product? What was their demographic? Did you rely strictly on word of mouth? Or did you use other marketing strategies? How did you differentiate your product from your competitions? How did you establish pricing? You have probably figured out how this went. By the time class was over, Mr. X was readily admitting that just maybe he had been mistaken and he knew more about marketing than he may have given himself credit for. So, recalling our previous encounter in marketing class, I was feeling confident, perhaps a little cocky, once Mr. X truly understood my philosophical what-if questions and my purpose for asking them, all would be well. I knew success was eluding me and was simply a couple of well-constructed ethical dilemma questions away. So here we go again, back into that morality breach. Okay, Mr. X, explain for my benefit and the benefit of your classmates why you can state so adamantly that you will never take a human life, I asked, somewhat smugly. Mr. X, never is a very strong word. Are you sure you meant to say never? Mr. Malcolm X slowly stood to face me and the rest of the class. He was tall, six foot four, lean muscled, and he moved like a cat. I've never felt frightened of the overly big muscled weightlifting types you find throughout the prison system. However, I have found that prisoners like Mr. X are far more physically intimidating. He began to speak. I immediately realized that this was going to be a moment. Whenever I was part of a moment, I would feel the hairs on the back of my neck tingle and begin to stand up. I was listening on the edge of my chair and soaking up each and every word. I could feel this moment would burn into me like the others. Mr. X raised his head and looked the class straight in their eyes. He reminded me of a superbly confident young lion surveying his kingdom. Well, sir, the reason I can speak with absolute certainty that I will never ever agree to take a human life, is I have taken a life before. 
In fact, that is why I am here in this place. I heard some mental and actual gasps in the room. Mr. X was entering the usually unspoken territory of what was my crime that put me here. He continued in a voice that trembled with pent-up emotion and yet somehow remained powerful. A close friend of mine from childhood worked for me moving product. Yes, I mean drugs. He paused for a moment to survey his captive audience. I had received word that some product was missing and that my childhood friend was stealing from me. When he next spoke, there was a touch of fire in his speech. Friend or not, he was taking from me, from my family, and I had to make an example of him. Now he pleaded with us via his tone and demeanor. I had to. If not, others who worked for me, or were my competitors, would believe I was soft. At this point, Mr. X looked downward at the top of his scuffed prison-worn shoes, and his voice softened again. When he looked back up at us, his warm brown eyes were filled with tears. As he struggled to speak, at this point the class was so quiet that I understood that old saying. You could have heard a pin drop. He finally managed to speak in a quiet but firm voice. We went for a walk. A walk away from everyone else. I knew that my best friend was planning to kill me. Kill me and take my place as the boss. We looked at each other, and we both knew. So we began to fight. Mr. X looked downward for a second time. Not at his shoes this time, but at his scarred yet powerful-looking hands. When he looked back up at his hypnotized classmates and teacher, he raised those well-muscled hands and displayed them to us all. I beat my friend to death with my bare hands he pronounced in a quivering voice. Now he turned and directly looked at me with burning eyes. Do you know what it feels like to kill a man with your bare hands, Dr. D? With these hands. He raised the offending items to my eye level. Well, sir, that is why I can answer your ethics and morality questions all day long and tell you never, never again, will I take a human life. As he finished speaking, he slipped lithely back into his seat. I clumsily cleared my tightened throat and began speaking. Well, um, thanks for being so open and honest and sharing your story with us, Mr. X. It was obvious to all in the classroom that I was taken aback and searching for my words. Okay, class, so let's talk about the dangers of this numbers philosophy why a smaller number of lives should have less value than a larger number of lives, or should we feel that way? I cleared my throat for what I hoped was the final time. Um, okay, class, has anyone heard of a Japanese city called Hiroshima? As the hands flew up around the room, I snuck a quick look at Mr. X. He was sitting quietly at his desk with his powerful hands folded in his lap. He was staring intently at his hands, as if he was waiting to receive a deep philosophical message from them. I thought to myself for perhaps the umpteenth time, Tom, you always seem to learn more from these felons than you teach them in return. Mr. X looked up directly into my eyes and smiled tentatively at me. I smiled back, both of us happy, 
because all remained good between us. I realized that an old teacher like myself can still be schooled. I also realized that an old teacher like myself can still be right once every now and again. It is all about perspective. So, I am urging you, ladies and gentlemen of my reading audience, to not judge a man or woman without first striving to see things from their perspective. I am turning off this computer now and going to sleep. Walking a mile in a felon's moccasins has really worn me out. Thank you.